Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hey all, I have a big treat for you today. I have a special long episode that is an interview with Andy Criscolo, my dear friend from Boston University. And here's a bit of our music that we played together in the 80s as a little teaser intro. Enjoy. Could be someone you'll hate Blind date Still you just can't wait Blind date Could be someone you love Blind date An angel from above First glance Got you making plans Hey! I'm Diana And I'm sitting here with my friend Andy Hello! Hello. I can't believe it Oh, it's so cool. It's, it's really cool. I'm sitting here <laughs> in your window. It's just amazing how life is. You, you meet somebody 40 years, you don't know what it's going to be, and then there you are 40 years later uh, recording a podcast. With Yay. And looking out that same window where I give you the weather report every freaking time. I can see that. It's good. <laughs> so give us the weather report, Andy. Well, I mean, the sun's going down. I guess this is southwest, so it should be accurate. Uh, <laughs> uh, it looks like it's going to be clear tomorrow. Yes, let's hope so. A little cooler, though. That's oh. just my, I think it's going to cool off. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I invited Andy here to come talk with me because he's going to tell us more and remind me about my days singing backup for his band. Harmony. 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 Singing, just singing. Just singing, singing, singing just singing. And I wanted to tell you all about my adventures in music in this period of my life. Music is such a wonderful and important thing. Tell them what you were telling Dakota about music. Well, I mean, music's awesome just because it's something that's always there for you. You know, you just start and uh, uh, you can put it down and you can pick it back up again. I mean, it's best not to put it down at all. You want to do it every day. Some of the things I've learned. And also just the idea of starting a project. You know, it begets something you know you write a song and what comes out of it you know relationships or you mm. make a partnership with somebody and it becomes a lifelong friendship yeah so it's no surprise to anybody out there i'm sure it's 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 an awesome thing and i'm a big sports guy but music's a whole different thing and, yeah uh, it makes your life big yeah he was big into football we used to call him joe willie chris Cola. oh yes <laughs> back in the day <laughs> So, the Grinders, I'm going to tell you a little bit about them before we go into and Andy's going to tell you some stories. They were a North Jersey rock and roll band that played original music during the late 80s and early 90s. And the group was founded by my pal, Andy Criscolo, the songwriter and lead singer who invited me and my dorm mate, my roommate, Ann, to join him and his brother, Stephen, to form the band in the summer of 1986. And the band made its debut performance at my mom's New Year's Eve party on December 31st, 1987, playing a five-song set. My mom loved to foster all of our projects and things like that, so she was more than happy to, yeah, come and play for my party, that'll be great. We went on later to play two and three set gigs at rock and roll club venues throughout North Jersey, Rockland County, and New York City between 1988 and 1984. 1994. Whoa, that would have been backwards. Okay. Back to the future. <laughs> Among the 40 or so performances of the Grinders were multiple gigs at the Hudson House in Nyack, right down the street, Classics Cafe in Westwood, New Jersey, Escapades in Jersey City, The Beaten Path in Hoboken, Kenny's Castaways, and the Rock and Roll Cafe down on Bleecker Street in Manhattan. And the band also played at CBGB. 
and several dates at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Bruce. Bruce. He didn't show up. Sadly, he was not there. Bruce. (laughs) In addition to playing gigs, the band also made several recordings throughout the year, and you're going to be able to hear some of those, bits of those, as we go through. We're going to play you some of the songs, because I know I've been singing for you guys recently, little bits of songs that I love from different places, and I thought this would be a chance for you to hear actually more of the music that I loved and sang and played with my friends back in the 80s and the 90s. So tell us a little bit more from your point of view, Andy, about the Grinders. Well, I mean, we would say you're a garage band, but we were more of a basement band. Yes. Started, my brother and I in our basement. I think we were playing Jungle Love by Steve Miller. We were trying to work that out, and I don't know why we picked that song, but um, we had a band in high school and St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> Steve and I would just make recordings, you know, I, I would be writing songs. I wrote a lot of, I wrote a lot of stuff at college, actually. I have this notebook and it's just like, I not only wrote the song, but then I would describe where I was writing it and mm. what I was feeling and what it was about at the time. So it's very interesting to, to look back on, but I was just writing, just writing, writing. Didn't know what I was going to do with them, you know. We started to record, but I always wanted to play out. But, you know, that seemed like a big step. I'm like, oh, you know. I have the confidence, you know, how do we do it? You know, what are we going to do? My brother was a drummer. I was a guitar player, but you needed more than that. Need some cute girls. You definitely need cute girls. <laughs> That's my number one tip. Get some cute girls that can sing. And uh, I was lucky enough to get some cute girls. So, you know, I would describe the music as rock and roll country blues. It was sort of straight ahead. And the sound was guitar driven, but highlighted by strong female singers. Diana Green and Ann Sherman sort of set the tone for it. Yay. And it's a tradition that continued even as new female singers came on the board, you know. Yeah. And so uh, you guys. Because I had babies in there, in the middle there somewhere. Yeah, that's, you know. <laughs> but you guys set the archetype for, for the band, and it really worked out. I mean, at that time, you know, it was the 90s. It was right before grunge started, but what was going on in the clubs when we were out, I mean, everybody was playing covers. It was covers, covers, and we were unique because we were playing original music yeah and the band this the style of music was very like thrash rock and roll like we'd be out and there'd be seven thrash bands with you know their fans very hardcore yeah looking people right you know and then somewhere right in the middle they put us here comes the grinders <laughs> and you know lyrics that yeah. you could understand melody harmony and you know like what is this crap like what is no it wasn't <laughs> no. but it wasn't it though yeah. that was it they were like they would come up to us and they're yeah. like that's really cool I think yeah. it was just to have the break from the wall of sound yeah. that they were. It was like so. Uh, we were always well received, and we always had a, a pretty good following. We had some very uh, loyal fans, and uh, a lot of times you had to buy your way into the club. Like you had to sell tickets. You know, yeah. You had to ensure you were going to bring a hundred people, and a lot, you know, we were always able to do it. So that was cool. Nice. Let's talk about how we how we met and how we got to form a band. Though. Yeah. Well, we met at Boston University. Boston University. Yeah, so you might have heard Ann tell about that dorm that she and I moved in called the Birdman Dorm. 1992. Yeah, Andy was an OG Birdman. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I was sort of an OG. Were you in that dorm freshman no, year? No, I, I was there from, from that standpoint. I was there freshman year. From freshman yeah. year, yeah. I was so not you, the hardcore partier. And, uh, and were you the hardcore, no, don't let the girls in guy? <laughs> you know, it, it it really. I've been listening to the podcast where you where you talk about. Uh, you know, it's like what's wrong with these guys that you didn't want girls. I there? know, right? It was very <laughs> weird. It was. I think it was like Animal House, and we were yeah. just we. So what happened? You know, you've talked about it that, that the university decided, oh, we got to put girls in yeah. that dorm. They're a bunch of hellions. <laughs> we were destroying the dorm right. on, a, on a regular basis, <laughs> and the final straw was we had a water fight. Like the last oh, weekend. I remember you guys telling us about that. And somebody dropped a bomb of a like a giant, giant hefty bag full of water and like coconut shavings. I don't know. There's oh. some I don't know. We might have had a couple of Unabombers in there. Anyway. <laughs> so they they dropped it off the top floor and it exploded four four floors down and uh so that was it. And they said, We're giving you girls and we're like, uh, we don't want girls. Girls, girls ooh, you <laughs> ew, know. And then the girls showed up, and we we're like, "Oh shit, girls! Yeah, that's cool." Oh right, we yeah, forgot about we girls. Like girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a whole different, whole different vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well we, you didn't know what we kind were of girls. Wearing suits and ties then. Oh and, you know, sure, and, yeah. <laughs> 
You didn't know what kind of girls you were bargaining for there, actually. Uh, we, we, we were lucky. I had, I had friends till this day. You and Annie and Judy and but old guys. and Yeah. yeah I mean, so that's where we met. And then we graduated. Yeah. Well, yes. Four years later. Quick. I mean. <laughs> quick, quick, quick. Well, three I mean, years later, I met you going. sophomore as a sophomore. That's right. And I was already dating someone. Yeah. So that's why I was you. not in part. I know. Like, <laughs> I'm listening to all these stories of your adventures, and I'm like, how come I? Oh, that's right. I had a girlfriend that's at the time. Right, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you Holly. weren't one of those, like Annie said, was waiting outside my door. I was in love but with did, Holly, got, and uh, yes. that was that was it. And uh, but I we enjoyed the parties. The parties were awesome. Yeah, I remember. I have pictures of you dancing on the table. Yeah, with Michelle. Remember that little blonde who lived in a single mm. on the ninety side. Now you're gonna have to remind me later. <laughs> yeah, the it wasn't intimate dancing. Just the two of you were like, "Woo!" You know, I was doing at my wedding. I was dancing on yes, table too. So I, I guess it was. A, I guess it was it's a just thing. a thing for me. You know, <laughs> I'm already tall enough, so it was. Uh, yeah, it was, right. It was treacherous. It seems unfair. Six five to, to be getting on a table. <laughs> um, so then you guys came to my wedding, which I was came, so great. An awesome wedding. Tell tell about you RSVPing to my wedding. Yeah, well, I was living at the, well, we'll get into this. I was living at the rectory at the time. Yes. Yeah, you know, but but I got this really cool invitation about these great combinations, right. peanut butter and jelly, and yep. I was listening to that Champagne podcast and today. Caviar. Yeah, and then it's Dave and Diana, and I was yeah, like, oh, this yeah. is really cool. I was very honored to be invited, and, you know, Block Island, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a blast. This yeah. sounds awesome, you know. So I called up to RSVP. And a little old lady answers the phone. And I'm like, oh, this must be somebody's grandmother. I'm like, hi, yeah, this is Andy. Uh, I got your got the invite for Dave and Diana's wedding. And I, and so the person responds and says, oh, that's great. Oh, I'm Dave. I said, are you, are you Diana's grandmother? She goes, no, I'm Dave. I'm the groom. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh. I said, oh, okay. Dave, you know, Dave had this very little croaky oh, voice, he which he was always yeah. very self-conscious yeah. about. But what's great about it is, as time went on, we even got him singing, you yeah. know, that he got over that. But, uh, you know, it wasn't anything, but it was just at the time, I was expecting, hey, I'm Dave, you know, and, you know, instead I got Aunt B, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so I said yes, and we came to a fabulous wedding, you know. Yeah, and so fun. Awesome, crisp uh, fall day, and uh, it was tremendous. And so that was like a reunion, a little bit of Birdman reunion there. A little bit of a reunion, and then you think like, well... You know, you go on, we're all starting jobs. You know, we'll see each other again sometime. You don't know when. Yeah. But then, suddenly, I'm in Hoboken, taking the path train to work, and the door opens up, and there you are. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> Diana. And we had a bit of a ride, and we could catch up. And we caught up, and we were talking. Were you working in the city then? or what? Yeah, what I was working at the city. It was, uh, I was working at KPR. Oh. On the east side, so I'd take the path train in, and I'd walk all the way across town to Third Avenue. Yeah, it's good exercise. Which was great. It was great exercise. <laughs> Tremend- I mean, that's the job to have. And back, you know, and uh, and we just caught up, and I started talking to you about music, and I guess I was thinking about a band thing, but I don't know what happened. And I said something along the lines of, we can use my barn? <laughs> yeah, well, before that, off of that, what happened was, I had written a song, and it, for some reason, I invited you guys out. I was living at Our Lady of the Valley Rectory in Orange, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Long story short, beautiful building with Spanish tile. It was, it was gigantic, and I knew the priest there, and I was you know, I had been living in a, in a rented room in Rutherford, which was terrible. And this guy was looking to rent out rooms. It was a parish. They didn't have a lot of money, and so they would make money by renting out rooms. And, you know, so there was other guys lay people living there, you know, guys that maybe had been divorced or a guy who had an alcohol problem. So there was many rooms in the place. And I had a beautiful room and, and a, a suite of rooms across the top of the building. I had a living room and I don't know how much I was paying. It wasn't much, but they, were, they had a cook there and they made dinner. It was like, wow. it was great. Yeah. I mean, no girls allowed. Right. But other than that, it was great. <laughs> so you snuck me in? Wait. You snuck I, you in. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it was, <laughs> you I brought you into the front door and we said, okay. you know. <laughs> we went downstairs to the basement, and there was a piano there. And I don't know how it all came about, but I said, here's a song. And we were working on this song called Amber Eyes, 
It's about a girlfriend that had, I guess, amber eyes, which is weird. I don't know if she had yellow eyes. It sounds kind of weird. But we were working out parts. You were singing, and Annie was singing, and I think Annie was playing piano. And it just dawned on me as I was hearing I'm like, this sounds really good. And there was another guy that had been living at the building, this guy, Brian Esslinger. And he had come down. He was just like, oh, you know, what are you guys doing? And I said, well, we're, we're just working on this song. And, and so we played for him. And he was like, oh, my God, that sounds really good. You guys sound great together. Yeah. And that was a moment. I just sort of said, okay, this could be something. You guys gave me confidence and, and you know, your encouragement. And just uh, that was the start of it. Yeah. I think it's like you said, like, like it begets, like you just get inspired and excited, you know, when you hear something come together like that. And that, I think that's what happened for us. You know, we were like, yeah, yeah we want to make music because it had been a while for me and Anne as well. And we hadn't. Oh, and I, and I knew, you know, I mean, yeah. I remember your, your days from the off key three. You yeah. guys are tremendous singers. And I was just like, I was lucky to have you. So, you know, I, I couldn't believe my luck that you were, you guys were willing to go along on this thing. And uh, we started rehearsing in Manhattan at some recording studio called The Planet. And uh, we'll go back to that a little bit later on when we talk about Dave. But, you know, the next step in the formation of the band was to record this Amber Eyes. And so we did it at a place that I know that you've talked about before, Toad Hall up in Palisades. Really cool, circular, what I remember, circular building in the middle of a swamp. But it had a recording <laughs> <Swamp>. studio. and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was an ogre yeah. living in the in the front yard. No, and uh, yeah. a witch, a witch outside and a in witch. the tent. <laughs> Absolutely, just the memory comes back to me right now. It was June, beautiful summer night. Doors are open, you know, just the screens, and you can hear the sounds of crickets out. And so we're recording it on a live mic, and you can hear the crickets on the track. And it's, yeah, and it really works well with the song because it's a ballad. That's so funny that it so. encapsulated right in that the picture so then you can feel like picture it in your head because you hear it in the sound, yeah right? no it's yeah. just it take you right back but i remember your brother steve's girlfriend cheryl going out onto the porch and just like what the hell is that sound you know and i was listening and listening because to me it wasn't anything you know yeah i, I heard it all the time yeah. and i was like cricket yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, how do you people sleep out here? <laughs> now, crickets, so you know, when you finish a song, you don't want to hear crickets usually. No. You want to have people yeah. applaud. But this was right. different. There was nobody different, there. Different kind of crickets. And the crickets, uh, they were, uh, I think I put them on the, uh, the credits because they, they <laughs> was a nice little rhythm piece. Nice. <laughs> so this is a short little song with uh, Annie and Diana yeah. on vocals and uh, Ann Sherman on Piano as well, and Steven on drums, and myself, and I think John Bonkowski played a little, little, little guitar, lead guitar. something. Yeah, it was not too much lead on this song. Yeah, but this is called Amber Eyes. We'll play a minute of it for you here. Yeah, or maybe two minutes. It's two yeah, minutes. Long. Two minutes. Do we'll it. Play the whole thing. Do it. Okay. Amber Eyes. Pulling across a lake so clear I can see you right down in the weeds And though it's 95 hot and humid as hell There's a breeze blowing off the trees And as the sweat breaks along my brow And slips into my eyes For a moment I'm blinded by the light from the sun And the depths of your amber
Yeah, and so the other song that we recorded that summer was called... Blind Date. Yeah, it could be great. Could be great. <laughs> Might be fate. Might be fate. Turned out to be a really big hit. It was a big song for uh, the band. The fans loved Blind Date. And uh, it was an important song, too. Very significant. So we just did those two those two songs in that recording session. But this is a place where you and Annie really just sort of put your stamp on things. It was just like, you know, yeah, I mean, you guys did a nice job, background vocals, beautiful harmonies, coming up with things. But you're like, you know, hey, we got an idea about this song. And, <laughs> and um, you know, the song's about, you know, I had a blind date. And it was just like, ah, uh, you know. I think it was griping about the experience. You know, it's it's one of those things. You put yourself out there, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And then you guys kind of came in with uh, just some funny, you know, just taking taking you off and riffing on the idea of, you know, hey, there's a really good-looking girl, my best friend I want to introduce you to, but she's she's awesome. She's really pretty, but she got a lousy personality. But you, know, that's what you, <laughs> but you don't care about that. You don't care. That's right. It's okay. So I heard this, and I thought, okay. These girls, uh, this is, uh, you know, this is where I learned, you know, you let people in and you let them, you know, bring their strengths, bring their strengths to it yeah. because it makes it better. So very generous of you as a songwriter. Generous, but smart, <laughs> smart, savvy business. We man. actually opened up the show with a little bit of the intro, but now we're going to cut to right after the bridge where you guys really sort of take off. And uh, it's definitely everybody's favorite part of the song. Here it is. So we talked about, you know, the formation and, and how integral, you know, and I'm just remembering this too. I mean, how much I owe you because you really, you know, without uh-huh. you, I don't think it ever would have would have happened, you know. And, you know, then you, you know, you had gone away and, 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 and so it was, but I'm like, oh yeah, you know what, Diana was such an, you know, important part and Annie. But, you know, we still just had guitar, drums. Girls. And girls singing. Uh, we definitely needed a bass player. We didn't have a bass player. But there was this guy always hanging around. Who's this guy? He was there for me, baby. He was there for you. <laughs> this guy, Dave. You know, we're sitting there and he's just sort of taking up space and sitting on the amplifiers. And <laughs> I said, you know, why don't you make yourself useful? Yeah, he said, do you know how to play bass? And he said, I know how to play guitar. I said, we already have one mediocre guitar player. Yeah. I, said, I said, we need a bass player. Go learn how to play the bass. Yep. Always telling people what to do. Right. He's got jack, his marching orders. Jack, yes. He's ready. <laughs> so Dave's like, okay. So he's going to learn the bass. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, we'll see what happens. I, not that I didn't have any faith in him, but I just thought, you know, no, who like, we'll, go off and we'll learn the bass? just picks up the bass, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say three months later, but it could have been two weeks later. Yeah, it was, was soon. It was soon. Yeah. I mean, you could talk more about it. He was intense about it. about it because he went home and he was like, bam, I'm going to do this. He threw himself into it. He did. Because he all of a sudden, excited. he turned around. It was like a big opportunity for him. And he was terrific. And he yeah. just kept getting more, he just kept getting better and better and just started creating these bass lines, very intricate, very interesting. Even though he said your music was easy. He said my music. <laughs> and it was. It was. Three well, chords and the truth. That's good. <laughs> or I, I, that's, a, that's the country saying. I like that. That's good. But, you know. Mine was like four four chords and a lie. Four, four chords. Four chords and a white lie. I'll call you in the morning. All right. Oh. Nah, that's true. I was called. I was called to say I wouldn't be calling back. Okay. No, that's just joking. Just kidding. Right, Little we, joke. But yeah, I mean, we were just looking at a video of our gig at the Dirt Club. Yeah, the Dirt Club. Oh my God, what a night that was. The classic. 
We had we we were trying out a new guitar player and he didn't show up. Yeah. So we were a little like I was throwing. I'm like, oh man, who's gonna fill in all those instrumentals? And you know, so it was just it was just the Greens and the Chris Golas that night. Yep. Andy and Steve and Chris Gola and Diana and Dave Green, mm-hmm. and we just sort of batten down the hatches and like, okay, we're just gonna we're gonna turn it up. We're just gonna balls to the wall. Give me that tambourine. Give me that tambourine. <laughs> and we just went, you know, and just did it. But I remember on that, you know, like the first song was always SOB. Yeah. Well, well, I'm a sort of a bitch. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, at some point in the song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I think I just pinned your needle. That's okay. <laughs> Fix it in post. Fix it in post. So we get to those instrumental parts where there's usually the guitars. You know, it's supposed to be like it's verse singing and then there's like a trade off of the guitar and verse singing. That's the whole structure of that song. Yeah. So it's like, shit, who's going to play all that part? Oh, pardon my French. But then Dave, all of a sudden you start hearing this bass line. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like, what's going on here? And this is what, you know, he would, he started, you know, making these intricate patterns that really just elevated it from a garage band or a basement band. And that's what we did. I mean, we had orchestration and we, you know, did arrangements. So it wasn't just, I'm proud of it. You know, at the time... You know, you're like, oh, what are we doing, this and that? Are we getting where we need to go and everything like that? But the music, I think, was undeniably well-received uh, by people. And I think that's probably the strongest part of it was that we were making those recordings and people were able to, to have them and, and listen to them. And I think that's what kept people coming out. So anyway. Yeah, for sure. But that's uh, Dave the Bassman. And we're going to talk more about Dave the Bassman because he went from being Dave the Bassman to Dave, like, my my partner. You know yeah. I mean? I started yes, with Steve. Quite a team. Yeah. yeah, but but you know, we were both sort of working professionals in the uh, advertising business. I was a copy guy, a words guy, and he was an art guy, and so they would do all our graphics and everything like that. And and you know, we're, our friendship just uh, kept building and building. So then after we got Dave on board, we just needed that lead guitar player. Yeah, one missing piece. And one missing piece. I had a friend at work, Elaine Craig, that had a boyfriend named Henry, and Henry had a friend named Mike Offertig. <laughs> we uh, had a meeting at my apartment, and uh, Mike, was think- him. Mike was thinking <laughs> we were just going to chat. And, and uh, as he tells it, I threw a guitar in his hands and said, what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> That's so, kind of how you operate, anyway. <laughs> I know, really. I just, geez, what a, I don't know. Aww. But um, he was a wonderful, great player. Great guy, and uh, take the, the the last missing piece. Yeah, Mike he added a whole yeah. another dimension to it. Absolutely, yeah. and his wife Amy, you know, like Cheryl, was a huge fan. Huge all fan, the time. and key. It's not just the band; it's it's the it's the spouses yeah, it's the and, support. Yeah, it makes the whole experience uh, yeah. worthwhile. So, well, let's let's talk about our first gig, and yeah. we're we're rolling back over, but December thirty first, nineteen eighty seven. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Very exciting. Christina's studio. Yeah. I say. You know, your mom is just a gem and a <laughs> sweetheart and a lot more interesting things than that. But just, you know, she was awesome and always supportive. And I will always be thankful for her for giving us our, our first gig Yay. for her New Year's party. And she likes calling you Andy Criscolo. That's right. <laughs> nice Italian lady. Yes. Well, we went out into the name Birthday Boy. Cause that was our big song at the time, so we were Birthday Boy when we started, and it was just uh, and that was another situation where we didn't have a guitar player at that point. We didn't, I don't mm. we had Dave Fry, your friend Dave Fry, oh, yeah, yeah, sat yeah. in with us. We showed him a couple of songs, he's an excellent guitar player, very good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was good, fun, and we did a great job. And I it was a great party. There, the thing I remember about the party, and you'll yeah. remember because you and I had a conversation. Did you get waylaid by some scary old woman with a beard? No, it wasn't that. It was, this was like... Because um, it's know, happened, there just was, asking. Well, you know, it was a unique party because it was mostly women. It was mm. almost all women, lesbian gals, you know, of all ages and, and a lot of very attractive young ladies or, or middle-aged ladies or whatever ladies. <laughs> and I remember saying to you at one point, you know, I said, what do you think? And, and you go, you have no shot. <laughs> Not at all. Not at just all. Just forget about it. <laughs> I said, damn. Um, this was your new experiences with lesbians? Yes. I mean, was, you know, this is pre-Howard Stern. So. But, uh, you know, but it was interesting. And uh, 
I think we we came off well. We were happy with it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, we weren't the stars of the night because the stars of the night was the share impersonator that came yeah, on. Yeah, that the, was the same after night. midnight. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> she was. Well, that was that was that was tons of fun. Did she sing? Oh, I think so. Now I don't know if she was lip syncing. Um, Do you believe in love <laughs> after love? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think that was, I, I think it was before that. So she was probably doing the Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. Oh, but gosh. I, was, yeah. I don't know, maybe. Hopefully maybe not, not half breed. Half breed. <laughs> yes. Yikes. Yes. Okay. Songs that would never get made today. Nope. Songs that did not age well. And then we waited, and we used that momentum from, from New Year's Eve, 1988, January 1st, to get to our next gig 10 months later. <laughs> When I look back Boy, on my notes, to go. I don't know what we were doing between January <laughs> and October, but finally we had our first out professional gig, October 6th, 1988, at Center Street Cabaret, a beautiful new venue in the middle of a rough neighborhood in Orange. Mm. People came, a lot of people came out, they're like, what's happening to my car right now? You know. Yikes. <laughs> but um, we were still birthday boy at that point, and uh, very good night. Anyway, I have in my notes that we're going to play You're Wrong now. That was one of the songs. That was one. Uh, that was one of the first five that we did the, on New Year's Eve, and it was a staple. But again, another one of those songs where the girls really—I say the girls—you're wrong. Know? You're wrong. You're just not right. Right. <laughs> That's it. You guys made that song, and uh, That's fun. anyway, so here's you're wrong. Demanding, didn't we? Well, you know, <laughs> so we were, we, we were like, come on, Andy, you're writing all these songs about women being wrong. Women being wrong and you, you know, putting them up on a pedestal mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, objectifying them and trying to date lesbians. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? I mean, I, so this was a conversation. I, it was funny because you guys were kind of giving me a hard time. We were at you and Dave's apartment in Hoboken. And, uh, you know, and I guess we were having a practice or something or a meeting or whatever. It was a great time because we were, we were either meeting writing or we talking. <laughs> yes, definitely meeting with Lyme. But you were talking to me about this. And I, you know, I listened. I took it to heart. I thought, okay. And I also thought these girls, you know, again, tremendous performers, singers, and really interesting and funny and original. I need to start writing songs that feature them, you know, not just me or not just them in the background or the harmony so i said i'm going to write a song for the three of us you know that nice. really features us and I, I think i'll do it about this subject you know about what's my approach to dating you know what's going on so <laughs> how's that I, working for you so far <laughs> well i think i figured it out but uh i got in the car in Hoboken, and i drove to weehawken which is where my apartment was you know probably two miles as the crow flies and we're 
25 minutes, you know, right. through the By traffic. The road. Yeah. Which was just enough time to get most of this next song down called Pedestal Love, which was sort of a, a call and answer thing where I would say, blah, 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 blah. And then you guys would be like, wait a minute. That's no. not the way we're playing it. <laughs> yeah. And then it closes with an overlapping and uh, one of my favorite songs. Oh, you know, fun. Of course, because you guys were on there. And uh, I was just picking up these these uh, cassettes yesterday of is a new grinders remastered uh, CD. We're going to tell you about in a little bit. But the guy brought me the stuff and he's like, hey, I got to tell you, I love I love these songs. He goes, especially those ones with those girls, you know, <laughs> sounds like, you know. Like the best stuff of the 60s and 70s. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, but later than that, but you know. But, but still, uh, like building on that. That's That was our heritage anyway, that kind of music. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's what we knew how to do and wanted to do. Definitely. Right? Yeah. So anyway, pedestal love. I'm going to lift you up so high oh, that even I can't touch you up. So high, cause only then will I ever love you up. High above, we're gonna fall in love. So yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity. I loved being able to play rock and roll because I had done a lot of other kinds of music. I had done choral music and madrigal music and then Buff Keith Three and Who's on Top, which was Yeah, everything jazz. Very different you guys did jazz, the Boogie yeah. Woogie Bugle Boy, everybody loved that. Yep. You yep. did the Roches, the Roche Sisters, the Roches, right? Was yeah. the air conditioner song? That was one yeah, of my favorites. Yeah, that was a fun one too. Yeah. I, yeah, but I mean you guys are to be able high to class. do, you know, like sing in the kind of clubs that we yeah. did with the grinders was 
a whole different fantasy that I get to fulfill, you know, and wear those awesome outfits, you know, sparkly jewelry and all that stuff. So I get to play a part that I didn't have an opportunity to play in any other way. And out of the place. So. Well, it was awesome. I was, I was, so I, I was never a great. I was, I was no Steven Tyler when it came to being a front man. I get out and I'd sing the song. <laughs> Sometimes I, I would lean into it, but, uh, but you know, my brother Steven, uh, yeah. was a, a great personality, and then you, you know, up front, and uh, you know, you definitely were. People were excited when you got up to sing, and we did, and we did covers too. You know, we we you know, because by the time we were doing like three sets. You know, it's like... Did we do Fire with you? We did Fire. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. And that's when and I started doing And we were doing 30, doing song, 30 yeah. songs a night. So we right. definitely needed to... You know, we had about 23, 24 originals, but we would supplement with uh, yeah. Pointer Sister uh, doing Springsteen yeah. Fire. Right. Uh, Love Shack. Love Shack was so Who's good. Who's the other girl? Was... Michelle Shocked, was it? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Your Little Sister? My Little Sister. My little sister, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which I think was a takeoff on the Elvis little sister. Yep. Well, not a takeoff, but inspired. Oh, riff but, on it, yeah. But a great little song. Yeah. I, forget all... I loved those. Those were so fun. We kept Love Shack in our repertoire for a long time. We used to bust it out at weddings and stuff. Yes. <laughs> it was very fun. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's too much fun, that song. So it is a fantasy, you know, yeah. to be a rock and roller. You know, that's... That is. It is a yeah. fantasy. And there's, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously, we didn't make it to the big time, but we had a great time. We played a lot of places and yeah. uh, a lot of famous clubs, CBGBs, the Stone Pony. Yeah. We got on the radio. We did an hour-long interview on Fordham University Radio, which there are clips of that on this new CD. But, yeah, that feeling of being a star or just being not a star, because it's really not about, you know, it's not about the fame, but it's just sort of the excitement of being out and playing live music yeah when people are down in front and they're like enjoying your music in real time oh, that's that awesome. is it's so great wow it's amazing i remember my brother and they don't do that for jazz so i'm just saying no jazz <laughs> no it's a little bit less yeah yeah <laughs> we're too busy smoking cigarettes yeah yeah no absolutely. drinking whiskey <laughs> what was fun was my brother had this whole crew of friends that were all of a sudden one there was one gig where we had this entire road crew like, I'm, I'm looking around, and somebody's grabbing my amplifier. I'm like, what's like, going on? My brother had... Thieves, these, thieves. These guys were like, we love this music. We want to be the, we want to be the roadies. So all of a sudden, like, okay. these people are showing up, and they're setting stuff up, and they're, you know, I was like, okay, this is this pretty is your cool. your younger brother, Mike, right? Steven. Yeah. No, Steven. Oh, Steven's, Steven's friends. Steven's friends. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And he had another friend that was a guy that would make stuff out of clay, and he would make these big, tall glasses and these, like, jugs, like, old-time... Um, you know, like the hillbillies would have, you know, mm-hmm. like the big, and he put the Grinders logo on them, and those, those were like really cool. He made about, I don't know, 15 or 20 of those, and there's still, there's still a few around, yeah, hey. yeah, so there's a, you know. Find them in an antique shop, that would be worth a lot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I remember Stephen calling, he went, he was up in, at the time, he was living up in Ithaca. He was DJing at some point, and, and uh, at this club up in Ithaca. It's like a big roadhouse, and he was living in a room beneath the club. And he said, "You got to come up here." I said, "Why?" He goes, "He goes, I've been I've been mixing Birthday Boy in with the regular songs, and people love it, and people are going crazy. They want to, they want you to come up." I'm like, "I'm like, yeah, all right, you know, come on, whatever." So I go up, and uh, you know, the night's going on. I'm having a drink. I'm standing there, and I'm kind of just hanging out, and I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, I hear the song start to come in. You know, dun, 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 dun. and all of a sudden. Just like, and there's 200 people in the room, and the thing comes in, and people start singing the song. Nice. The song. And it was just like, and then all of a sudden, people start coming up to you, you're Steve's brother, you're Andy. And, they, and it was just, it was like one sliver of stardom. And it was just Same, like, yeah. can you imagine Aww. what it's like when it's all the time and 100,000, you know? It's like, when Paris it Hilton's crazy. playing your song. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it was fun. Well, this so. is a tough year. This yeah. was a tough year. Um, after a long illness, I lost Dave, your ex-husband, and our bass player, and and my friend, Steve and I had started the band, and and you know like brothers, we were you know we we're always like this, but you know it would always be like this, and and uh, you know Dave was a little bit older and and kind of had the sort of same sense sensibility as as me, and sort of was he was working on layouts for stuff, and I was working on copy, so we kind of formed a partnership that way, and. Uh, 
you know, we're pushing things forward, trying to get to the next thing. And, and so, you know, we became very close. And, um, and know, I think for him, too, it was an outlet that, like, yeah, into a different realm of creativity that well, he didn't get to. He did, and he did so many things, too. Like, like yeah. I remember at the service and people talking, and I'm like, you know, this the band was... It was an important part of his life, but it was just one microcosm of so many things that he was just tremendous at between the art and and golf and just his adventures. I mean, he, was, he would be writing books and stuff like that. I mean, he was uh, amazing. And uh, so I remember I was out in Lancaster County and with my wife, and we were in a furniture store. And it was a furniture store and it was a cafe. And I remember hearing the Eagles being played. And, it's, and I'm like, oh, yeah. It must be a live album because it's not, uh, you know, it's it's Tequila Sunrise, but it's not exactly the recorded version. It's, and then I realized, oh, it's no, it's somebody's playing it. There's there's some guys playing the song. There's some live musicians. So I go out there, and they sound they're really good. And it's two guys like north of seventy, you know, like two Aldecockers. I mean, <laughs> and you know they had some stuff that was sort of pre-recorded, and they were one was playing a keyboard, and one was playing guitar, but. They were tremendous, and I was just laughing. I thought so. I remember calling Dave up, and I said, "You know, I got you know Monday. You know, went to work, and I'm driving home on a Monday." And I said, "Hey, what's going on?" I said, "Listen, I I just figured out what our second act's going to be. <laughs> I found a place where you can be 75 years old and, and you can play a music. Rock and roller. <laughs> you know." And he said, "He goes, ah, well, I got some news here. I'm just dealing with." And then he told me that he was. You know, I'd been diagnosed with a tumor and a brain tumor, and uh, I just was like, you know, just yeah, everything kind of. And he never talked about what his prognosis was, and I never asked. It was always weird because I just thought, well, it's not good. But then I thought, well, maybe, you know. And he outlived it actually by two years. Yeah, you know? no, I know. So it's a long time. No, I know. But it started me doing these grinders remembrance projects. Mm. I started making T-shirts, you know, yeah. with his logo and. We put together this, what I call our tour t-shirt, which had all of our gigs over the seven years listed on the back. And he um, he goes, do you want me to work on it? And I knew he was having trouble. He was having one hand, one arm was not working too well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think even he was a little little foggy on some things. And I said, well, I don't want to tax you. You know, he's, he goes, no, I want to do it. Like, he, it was something he, he wanted needed, to do. He yeah. needed occupation. So, you know, so I sent him the file and he started laying it out. And it, you know, came back. It was a couple times with some stuff that was missed. He's like, "Oh," he goes, "Oh, sorry." You know, I said, "Don't worry about it." I, I mean, I, I only say it because it was not easy for him to do. But he, yeah. but he was, you know, and I could have had anybody do it. But I, I if he could do it, I wanted him to do it yeah. because I wanted. So um, anyway, we got these shirts made. So it was sort of the the seven year tour on the back with all of our gigs, all forty gigs over the seven years at different places, and I made. Uh, copied over videos and, and recordings and this and that. And, and this last thing, this original recordings that we had done that um, I just had on cassette, they were on CD, but from a cassette, you know, because back then they were not like the best versions of things. And I said, I want to I want to do something with this. So I started, I went and found the old reel-to-reel tapes. Guys from had, Toad Hall? Or no. From uh, Toad Hall. Places, yes, yeah. Toad Hall and Eurosound and a couple of other studios in Jersey. And there's about four different places that we recorded that are on this. And the guy said, okay, I'll, I said, can you digitize these? I want to digitize these and then I want to get them mastered so that they're just the best quality they can be. It's loud and it'll have them really pop. You know, this is, mastering was something I hadn't known about when I was younger. And I've been doing it on more more recent recordings, but... The guy goes, yeah, okay, well, we we can uh, we can digitize them, but first I have to heat them up. I said, heat them up, yeah, because we bake them in an oven so that the tape doesn't separate. I said, okay. So anyway, we we heated them up, then we digitized them, and we got them mastered, and we put this thing together uh, called uh, Grinders Remastered, and it includes about ten of our best loved songs and. And then there's about five or six clips from that uh, radio interview we did on WFUV radio. You know, everybody's talking on there, and it's really fun. And uh, <laughs> there's a funny quote on there where now this is this is after you you know you would you would have children, so you would you kind of had dropped out. And but we're talking about Dave and how you know how great he was, and we were just kind of just lavishing him with praise. And and at one point the the girl in the band uh, says. Oh, yeah, and uh, Fran, one of our, our new singers, says, yeah, the girls came up to me and said, who's that guy? Who's that guy? You know, the girls were always asking about him. 
And so the, the announcer says, so Dave, you're a ladies' man, huh? And Dave's <laughs> like all like, he goes, no, nah. he goes, I, I, well, I'm married and I have a kid. So it's, you know, he was like, <laughs> and no, no, then no. he goes, hi, Diana. <laughs> I said, okay. He said, don't worry. I'm sure he's not going to be mad at you. It's okay. It was funny, though. You know, he just, he was so shy. And, uh, but anyway, finished the CD and my heart's breaking as this is the one project that he's not going to see and it's just killing me. Hey, that's fucking, you know, but he's out there. He's, he's out watching. there and going forward, we will see him again. And yeah. I know that. And that's the way I feel. And, uh, and he's on here, and uh, anyway, yeah, and you great. get to hear him. Like, I get to hear him. Yeah, Anytime creature you features. Want. Yep. Dave came up with the the signature bass line, which started the song. He would just play his bass line over and over again, every practice, and I'd be like, "Wait, would you stop playing it?" He goes, "No, I think this is something." I'm like, That's, "I said I don't know what it is. It's not anything, you know." He kept doing it, and then one day I was out walking around in New York in Central Park. It was a beautiful day in May, and just admiring all the sights and the beautiful people that were walking around uh -huh. and, and then something happened i ran into somebody that i knew and he was on a date and he was pretending he didn't know me and so it was all these things about you know guys and girls and what's going on and i remember coming back to work and calling one of my friends at work and this guy louie he goes how you doing man you know he, i had moved on to a different job uptown by the park and he was still down at the kpr at the other place he said, no, I'm doing I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. I said, yeah, I was out today. Beautiful day in Central Park. He said, oh, my God, the women are walking around New York. He goes, ah, the creatures, huh? The creatures. Yeah, he was this Spanish guy. He's so funny, just the way he said it, the creatures. So I just thought of that old horror series that we used to watch, Creature Features. And that's where that sort of came from. And But Dave's bass line, that is the, the heart of the song. It was one of our most popular things, uh, Got reviewed in Aquarian magazine. This is a great, <laughs> great little uh, Halloween yeah. ditty. I don't know. Halloween ditty. But it was the a monster mash. <laughs> creature features. It's like we all turn into creatures. It's what love does to you. Yeah. We all at the end of the song, guys. I guess I'm a creature too. You know. I guess I'm a creature too. Yeah.
So if people wanted to hear the grinders, where could they hear them? Well, the grinders, they're, they're under the name Criscolo Sounds now just because it's just easier. That's, it's under that umbrella, Criscolo Sounds. And I'll put it in the show notes. All right. And uh, we're on Spotify and iTunes, Amazon. And when I look on the dashboard page, apparently we're being streamed everywhere. And I'm making, you know, a half a cent on every on every stream. It's really, nice. I'm just raking it in. It's the modern times, baby. <laughs> but uh, no, it's every month is every you know, every month is like twenty or thirty sales, and it's you know it's not not amounting too much, but we'll see. So fun. But it's up there, and it's great because you can find so there's a couple of albums on there, and classics remastered should be available very shortly. So anybody who's an old fan, you like the songs. Think you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy the interviews, uh, the radio interviews, and oh my wonderful! It's like bonus friends. features. Bonus features. Yeah. Awesome. Tanya, thank you so much. Oh, thank I, you, Andy. This was such a pleasure. So much fun. Oh my God. I mean, we talk about old times, and I mean, we talked for two hours before this, and we're yeah, going to talk yeah. for six hours after this. So. Right. Going to need to go get a couple of drinks yeah. and water down the old throat. No, that's it. We had a few coming <laughs> in, so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a great podcast. I, I, I am, you know, I was up all listening to it again. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I got to go to sleep because we got to do this tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for everything. All right. All right. Love you. See you guys next right. time. Jack on one track mind. Does she know? Has she learned? Is it too late? Tell me, baby, is it too late? Tell me, does she know? Has she learned about the change of fate? Has she learned about the change of fate? Well, for two months now, she's been bending my mind. I think it's only fair that I return in kind. Does she know? Has she learned? Is it too late?
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.